Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello again, my friends. Hey, this is Jason, and I am back. This is episode 203 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. And uh, yes, yes, uh, took a little break there for a while, had a lot going on that I'll tell you about here in just a moment. But first, I cannot wait to tell you about today's guest, Tony Roth. He is a thriller, historical suspense, and international intrigue debut author, whose book is coming out today, as you're hearing this, March 1st. Uh, his book, Trigger Point, is incredible. I've got a copy of it myself that they were they were so kind to send to me, and I'm, uh, I'm right about the halfway point. I've been just devouring it all weekend long. But you're going to hear about this book and what went into making it, as well as a wonderful, very thrilling, I might say, sample chapter read by Tony. And that's all coming up here in just a couple of minutes. So stay tuned for that. You don't want to miss it. It's really, really cool. So uh, like I said, uh, yes, I took a little break away from things, just had uh, too much going on. Uh, you know, No reason to be around the bush. Uh, the, the big news was that... Uh, Unfortunately, we, we did lose my uh, my new son-in-law here a couple weeks ago, and so we've been dealing with uh, the ramifications of that and, uh, you know, a lot of heartbreak. He was a very good young man, the guy, kind of guy that I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have chosen a better guy myself if I'd have, if I'd had my pick of men for my daughter. Um, just all-around good guy, and he is going to be greatly, greatly missed. So uh, for those of you who've been reaching out to me, extending your condolences, I really appreciate that. Uh, just, it means so much to me that uh, I have so many listeners all over the world who have been reaching out, and uh, thank you very much for that. And I've been passing it on to my daughter and uh, their family, and we appreciate that. On, on a lighter note, uh, something that he encouraged, I might had was my wife and I did still celebrate our 25th anniversary. We went on our cruise, and uh, that went, actually, it went amazingly well. I mean, it, it, we're just blown away. We are speechless with how incredible this cruise was. Uh, due to COVID restrictions and some of the fears that were going on, you know, like six weeks ago, um, with the Omicron, you know, things were pretty heightened, but we felt confident going on there. Plus, you had to take a COVID test within 48 hours of going. So when we both pe- uh, tested negative and given the restrictions that were going on on the boat, we felt confident and we went and we, along with those restrictions, uh, the ship was only 38, 39% capacity. So, <laughs> I mean, just, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise before and uh, so you experience what it's like waiting for an elevator just to go up and down or to get around the ship, and then you're waiting in line at dinner uh, or the lunches, the buffets. We never waited in line for anything. Uh, If we wanted to go and get in a cabana uh, to get some sun, there were several available at all times. Uh, We even had hot tubs to ourselves several times. It was such an incredible experience. Um, And the beaches. Oh, my gosh, the beaches. Uh, I tell you what, if you ever get a chance to go to St. Thomas and lay out on Megan's Bay Beach in St. Thomas, it is it is the softest sand I've ever experienced. It was incredible. 
Uh, but we also had a day in St. Martin and then uh, another day in Coco Cay, which, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, but uh, overall, though, the, it was the cruise itself, uh, a lot of uh, marriage enrichment. My wife and I learned a lot, even after 25 years. You know, we've been together for more than 30 and married for 25 now, and uh, we still are learning a lot about uh, communication and new ways to respect each other. And I think it's it's definitely enriched our lives and enriched our marriage. And, uh, oh my gosh, I, I highly recommend it. If you ever get a chance to go on the Love Like You Mean It getaway or a cruise, uh, it's definitely well worth your time. And, uh, oh my gosh, we, we had an amazing time. But we're, we're back from that and uh, finally getting back into the real world. <laughs> uh, I've been back to work now for two weeks. And uh, right away, I set up an interview with uh, today's guest, Tony Roth. And we got that done so that we could get the episode up for today's date. Uh, got a few other interviews actually later today. So I'm back into the uh, swing of things full time. Planning on a lot of interviews in the upcoming weeks and months ahead, and uh, actually cooking on uh, cooking up a few things that I might might be doing. We'll see how how things go. Um, I've even got a, a book signing set up for Sedalia, Missouri, coming up in April. And uh, as that gets a little bit closer, I'll make sure to let you know, just in case anybody in the mid Missouri area wants to come by and say hi. I'll I'll make sure to let you know when that is. Um, I do know it's the first weekend of April in Sedalia, so we'll, uh, I'll share some more information about that as it comes. Anyway, I, I didn't do as much writing as I had hoped. Um, I did, I had two days where I actually had some downtime and opened up my device and a Scrivener and did some writing. Uh, altogether, I got about a chapter and a half. Um, you know, I guess just sitting out and looking across the sea just was very inspiring, and it, it opened up the creative floodgates and so the, the two times I did write, I wrote fluently and had a really good time with it, um, but uh, didn't, didn't get as much writing done as I had hoped, uh, but still, it was good, and uh, I've been writing a little bit more since we've been home. Uh, again, not as much as I'd like to, but uh, it, I'm getting there, and uh, of course, as you know, I do all that writing. I, I mean, I've already alluded to it once. I do all my writing in Scrivener. They are a sponsor of the show, um, but I've been using their products long before I started doing this show, and you will absolutely love it. It's uh, so many wonderful features, and uh, you know it, I love how it backs up to a cloud service as well automatically for you so that you don't lose your work, and uh, that's how I was able to work on the boat without worry of uh, losing anything because it was right there in the cloud. Hey, check out this advertisement for how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software. 
Built by writers for writers. Okay, thank you once again to Scrivener. I also want to thank our affiliate, Writer's Block Coffee. Uh, you can order one time or set up automatic shipping of uh, one of their three amazing flavors. They have the Deadline Dark, which is sure to keep you up at all hours, whether you are burning the candle at both ends or an early riser. There is uh, my personal favorite, the Whiskey Barrel Aged Blend, and their signature blend, the Writer's Block Coffee. All three flavors are incredible. I've tried them all, and, and I love them. I invite you to click that link in the show notes so that you can get on over and uh, make sure you use coupon code SAMPLECHAPTER to save 10% on your order. Finally, I want to thank my friends over at Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about a dozen other pop culture-related shows. Lots of fun things going on over there all the time, and uh, good celebrity and uh, movie news. Uh, I got to say, they are they are really excellent shows, and I enjoy listening to every one of them. Uh, so you can click that link in the show notes again for that, and uh, hop on over and check them out. Uh, as always, make sure you follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, just look us up as Sample Chapter Podcast, and e- very easy to find. Of course, I share all the new episodes every week, but uh, every once in a while I like to uh, usually on Thursdays, I like to share old episodes or a Throwback Thursday and any other information that uh, pops up that I can share as well uh, along the way. If you're not a social media person, you can always go over to SampleChapterPodcast.com and find all of our past episodes available to you there. You can email us at SampleChapterPodcast at gmail.com uh, if you want to reach out to the show. And of course, you can call our hotline at 660-851-1146 and leave me a voicemail. Uh, You may just hear it on an upcoming episode. All right, well, without further ado, how about we hop on over to our interview with debut thriller author Tony Roth. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome to a, uh, a brand new episode with a brand new author that I cannot wait to introduce you to. Our guest today is Tony Roth. Tony has been a farmer, an Eagle Scout, college athlete, musician, and a serial entrepreneur with more than six patents to his name and is the youngest of five competitive brothers. He almost joined the seminary but thought better of it and has also founded the National Care Management Company in 2014. His debut novel, Trigger Point, will be coming out actually today when this uh, show is aired. So after you hear the interview and the uh, reading, make sure you click that link in the show notes to get over there and uh, grab a copy for yourself. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Tony Roth. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yes. Yeah, I am too. And uh, this this book looks incredible. I'm so thrilled to... uh, be holding a copy right here in my hands and i i can't wait to dive into this and it's amazing like like oh the, all this intrigue and everything going on with current affairs in the world right now it's like oh this is like really got my attention yeah it wasn't planned for that but uh <laughs> i i can i can honestly tell you the government uh is an interesting uh entity to watch and certainly to write about <laughs> <laughs> i bet so i bet so Now, and that was something that uh, I found interesting uh, was looking into your character 
uh, Nicholas Ford. He he's really fascinating uh, as a uh, Midwestern farm boy signed up with the CIA and his character in the story from what I understand is based on some long-standing friendships you have in the intelligence community. Is that correct? That's right. Um, back in the eighties, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to meet lots of folks who were recruiting. Uh, I went through a little bit of that process myself, but ended up with some lifelong friends and we would get together and, and tell stories. And over the course of about 25 years, um, it became more of a reunion, if you will, where we would meet different you know, areas, whether it was in Los Angeles or Chicago. And uh, inevitably, we would end up having dinner and that would relate to the bar. And over time, uh, uh, some of these uh, folks who inspired this book um, would say, hey, let, let Tony tell the story. He does a better job. So I'd end up standing around a bar for hours on end telling stories and in some cases embellishing them to make these guys feel better. And uh, eventually in the early 2000s, they said, hey, you know what? You should, you should write a book. You should write a book about all this. Put it into a really cool book. And, um, and uh, the, the interesting part about that is it was, it was much easier to write than I ever imagined because I had all this chronology of, you know, really from the, the mid 1980s all the way through the 90s and how things got started. And, and uh, it allowed me to put those true events into a chronologi chronological diagram and, and then kind of embellish these characters and build out a really uh, a fun group of characters to follow with Nicholas Ford as our you know, obvious protagonist. Yeah. Well, so you've got this wealth of information that you've been collecting over 25 years. How tough was it to, to figure out, okay, what's the first book going to be? You know, I, I have had it in my mind since 2006. I just didn't have time with all my regular work life. And um, so I knew there was a, a story about a spy, you know, in this in this whole realm of Central and Latin America, freedom fighting, Nicaragua, Reagan era, uh, you know, pushing the communists away out of Central America, the Daniel Ortega story, the intermediary, Manuel Noriega in Panama, who, who is part of book two, even more so than book one. And, and, it, and it leads through essentially money laundering from Congress and involves a series of handlers, cartel included, to get that into guns and ammo and support for the freedom fighters. So, you know, you, you start with that as your premise and you've got some really good fodder for a book. Um, I will be honest with you, this is my first fictional book. I've done a lot of writing for patent work or business, but it's, uh, it's much different. And I wrote, I wrote 113,000 words and uh, kind of pushed it out to a couple of uh, consultants in the publishing arena. And they turned me on to um, uh, kind of an, an elder, uh, almost retired publisher. His name is Daniel Roth, same last name, no relation. <laughs> uh, but he had worked with Simon Schuster for about 15, 20 years and, and um, pretty high level books to movies. Loved this because his wife's from Columbia and a lot of the uh, a lot of the action is based in Colombia up through Central America. And 
but he, he wrote a blistering review. <laughs> uh, he basically said, hey, you have 113,000 words of almost bar narrative, because <laughs> I had told him that a lot of the stories were probably derived from telling these stories in the past. And he said, we have to make this much more readable. And um, he taught me the three-act structure. He taught me how to write better dialogue. He taught me how to do character development through that dialogue. And I think we've ended up with a really fun novel, uh, but it's really built for a series of novels that we have in mind. We have two more in the works already. So that's how it all got started for me. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. And that, that's amazing. You got, you got this incredible support system around you. Some people who um, know, know more than, than you do and are able to help guide you along. And I think that's so important. Um, even when we have some experience writing, but to do something different and to have somebody that can kind of, you know, take our hands, so to speak, and be like, Hey, this is the direction you need to go with this. This is how you do that. And that's, that's just so important. And, you know, I, I am lucky that way. They, they have not stepped on my goal or mission. And part of the mission for Nicholas Ford was to bring a character through the college recruitment into his first assignment where he really is thrown to the wolves and uh, put in with a number of both experienced uh, cohorts, but some pretty evil dictators and operatives out in the, in the field of, of, of what I'll call Mission Impossible. But it, the story that we tell is much more human than what you might find in even Jason Bourne or Jack Ryan or, you know, God forbid, 007, who's become more formulaic. But um, I think the internal struggles uh, that Nicholas experiences in his morality and his decision-making process is within his own family uh, and his values is part of what's going to draw that reader in and say, oh, my gosh, how does this guy make it, you know, after being brought into the agency and put to task? Will he make it? Mm. That's a good question. And, and that, like you said, that definitely opens it up for more. Um, and one of the things that really stands out for me that really, I really enjoy about this is how it takes place in the 80s. So you've got this historical suspense, the, uh, the alternate history almost that you can, you can use and events that are, that are going on. And as a kid of the 80s myself, I mean, I'm thinking back, it's like, oh yeah, I remember the Contra and the uh, uh, South American stuff going on and on. And so this, holy cow, this is a, an incredible world and wealth of information you can go back to and just kind of write into. What was that like going back to the 80s for this character? Well, for me, it was therapeutic because uh, Nicholas Ford is uh, at best a, a collage of several people, including myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I am a University of Illinois graduate and I am a farm boy and um, you'll find those elements as part of Nicholas Ford's value set. So it was stealing from myself, I guess, to help, you know, this character come to life and then utilizing the other uh, characters that, that I've met over the last 30 plus years uh, and, and tie them together and make a really cool character that uh, 
you know, that for me is uh, uh, a little bit of, of heritage and legacy in there for me, but at the same time, um, you know, hopefully points out some of the things that could happen, some of the things that might have happened, and let people get a real fun ride uh, with CIA agents of, of all types that, that uh, really do, when they're, when they're put together, make a very eclectic team. That's fantastic. <clears throat> yep. Uh, do you have a, did you have any kind of a fun coming up with 80s references uh, throughout the book? <laughs> well, I'll be honest. Uh, some of them come right back to you. And then some of them, you find yourself Googling, like, what was that that we used to do? Or what was that we used to wear? Or what was the name of that restaurant? <laughs> and so, so I had to do a little bit of uh, research uh, along those lines to keep it real and keep it timely. Uh, hence the word historic, you know, historical fiction, right? I wanted to really try and make it uh, as tied to those times as possible. Fantastic. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Nicholas Ford. You, you, one of the things I thought, uh, pardon me, one of the things I found interesting in what you said there was how he, you based some of your own life in that character. And I think that for, for me, what that says is that falls back on the old adage of write what you know, uh, which took me years to really understand what, how I take that. And it sounds like that's something you kind of did was using things that you know to flush out this character and make him realistic uh, what was he like to uh, to build up yeah just exactly you nailed it um I, I i watched a documentary on philip roth again no relation but uh it wasn't until he began writing about his hometown village and communities and people that he had real life experience with that allowed his books to really flourish so I, I tried, I, I listened to that. I listened to Ian Fleming, who also used a collage of people to create this. And for me, it enabled a writing style to come forth that was, I believe, and I've been told by the, by the critics to date, uh, that it's, it is more believable because I'm writing as an authentic part of that character. And back in the 80s, most people don't realize this, but almost all of the recruitment leading into the 80s for the CIA was done, you know, at the Yale Club or, you know, within the Ivy League. And it wasn't until late 70s, early 80s that they began to move toward the heartland and recruiting, you know, from the Big Ten or the Midwestern, you know, Southeastern schools and and, you know, we used to say that's because they needed people to get their hands dirty, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, um, and be really patriotic, um, you know, unquestioning, do their duty and get the job done. But they did it in a very, you know, kind of a manipulative way, I guess I would say. And if you go back and research this, and I've done a fair amount of research on it, it's, it's saddening to me because they moved into these colleges and targeted people based upon referral or profiling. And then they got to know them through the teachers, professors, advisors, and they even manipulated them along that curve so that uh, they would be looking for a career, if you will. 
that might be more amenable to the agency or uh, clandestine services, even in, in this case for Nicholas Ford. And I think bringing that through the book, I originally had about 15 to 20,000 words just on that. Now, what we ended up doing was taking a lot of those nuances as flashbacks. So we lead with some action, but we flash back and give you this insight that, hey, Nicholas was manipulated through the last couple of years of his college career. He starts to discover that in, in uh, moments of truth during the, during the book, and you develop some empathy for him because you realize he really didn't have as pure of a choice as, as he might have thought he had to join the agency. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, and and Nicholas is going undercover throughout this this uh, story. What uh, what what was some uh, some tricks that you did to help keep the uh, suspense and the uh, excitement going throughout? Well, I think there's probably three different types of hooks in some of these chapters, but you've got um, a multi layered complex situation that he's been placed into one they allowed him to go ahead and marry his his uh sweetheart from another small town in in illinois same value sets but different career paths and that of course is weighing on him because they've they've put in place a an interpreter gorgeous smart slightly older experienced and you can imagine there's a lot of attraction between those two. So it becomes a bit of a love triangle on his personal side. Then he discovers that his recruiter is his case officer. He is going to be on a clandestine service team right out of the gate, going covert, going undercover. And this guy is a high-powered, demanding, nearly bipolar uh, case officer and to top it off, he lets Nicholas Ford into his inner circle. His name is Vincent. He is gay, has a gay husband, and uh, lets Nicholas into his inner circle, which puts even more pressure on him to perform, to be loyal to Vincent, even when orders are coming down the pike that he questions or has some moral issues with. So he's got political and patriotic and internal loyalty pressure. He's got a broken marriage almost right out of the gate that he's trying to figure out if it's even going to work or not and how he should or should not disclose. And then lastly, he comes from a family farm, much like myself, and his father and he have a very close relationship and he finds himself continuously lying to his parents, his family, his friends, and he's isolated himself. So he has a lot of dynamics happening while he's being put into some pretty precarious role-playing as Sean Smith, his alias, um, in front of dictators and leaders and the cartel and operatives, if you will, that may or may not be always who they seem. Mm. So it sounds like in upcoming future books with uh, Nicholas. We're going to be seeing him grow and change uh, as his career progresses, as opposed to something like James Bond, where he's the same roguish guy every book. There's no change to it. 
Uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, if he's going to be different from, from book to book, but uh, uh, Nicholas, it sounds like he's going to be, um, like I said, growing in character and, and um, uh, maybe, yes. maybe even changing his values along the way. Who knows? Well, yes. I mean, everybody has challenges, right? But mm-hmm. we, uh, I envision, uh, you know, I've started this as a trilogy. I actually have notes for several more mm-hmm. books because as he becomes more and more of a civilian contractor, uh, even later in life, this this series could go on for uh, probably a good 10 to 15 years, which, you know, could lead to a dozen or or even more books uh, mm-hmm. over the long haul. And I think I think keeping that character evolution fresh will 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 not be too big of a challenge in the first five to 10 books. It may become more of a challenge later on, but I think there's a lot of stories to be told between 1986 and 1996, as an example. Oh gosh. Yes. Is that something, I mean, I'm just, you know, the way you pose that, that makes me wonder then, are you planning on each book being about a year or, or is it just kind of random? Uh, It depends. You know, the first book actually encompasses almost three years in total, Mm. um, two and a half. Um, Second book may be done in a year, (laughs) you know, like Uh covering just one specific 10, 12 month period. And that's more about uh, Manuel Noriega and the invasion and the removal of him uh, out of Panama Mm -hmm. and what really happens behind the scenes and things like that ahead of time to cause all that to to erupt. so it, it, I, I envision about a year to three years for, for each book to have its full play. Great. Great. Well, and period the, pieces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, and the book comes out March 1st. That's the day that this episode drops. So that, that's exciting. I'm, I'm so happy and uh, congratulations. This is, uh, it looks like it's going to be a, uh, a big uh, hit for you it's already got a lot of excitement and uh, some really great reviews coming back and uh, i'm going to be adding mine here as soon as i can uh, get this opened up and, and dive into it myself terrific thank you very much on uh, march 1st it's released on amazon.com so you can find it under tony roth trigger point and um, you can see our book trailer and you can see uh, our link to our website tonyrothauthor.com and uh, there are podcasts and excerpts and reviews and the book trailer. Book trailer is getting rave reviews, so I highly recommend taking a sneak peek at that. And, uh, and it'll tell you a lot about how the story evolves. And uh, it's pretty exciting. Yes, indeed. Yes. And, and you, you beat me to the punch. There. I was going to ask how people could find and follow you. But uh, <clears throat> that is great. How about uh, social media? So social media, we're on Facebook. You'll find us uh, again, Tony Roth, uh, author. Uh, you'll find us on Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, those are the big three. And we do, gosh, I have a team of two people who I uh, love and, and thank God for uh, that run all of that. And they keep it updated probably twice a week, thrice a week with what's going on on these interviews so you'll be able to hear these kinds of interviews, see what's happening, get advanced praise, learn more about our, our sales or where the book will eventually be distributed, hopefully, and go from there. Yeah, and they are fantastic. I'm, 
admittedly i'm always a little hesitant to make announcements that hey i'm going to be interviewing this author or i've got a big uh, announcement for this author that's going to be on the show but i'm always hesitant even though 95 percent of the time it works out i'm always worried about that five percent when something comes up last minute for either myself or the author and, and it doesn't work out but your team put together a fantastic graphic uh the other day and, and put that out there about coming on the show i was like oh my gosh that's great well if they're doing it then i'm gonna share it too so that was that awesome. was very nice of them it was it awesome looked great yeah they are very they're very good i've known the uh, maria pesos runs uh at her cohort melody near and they are phenomenal you know social media marketers and so I turned it over to them and uh, provide them with my approvals and my content and some videos and whatnot, but they really manage the whole thing, which is, which is awesome. Outstanding. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with a cup of my writer's block coffee and uh, hand the floor to my guest, Tony Roth with a sample chapter from Trigger Point. Thank you. So I will be reading uh, chapter one, the first kill and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy that. It begins Monday, September 15th, 1986, Bogota, Colombia. Nicholas Ford, better known by his CIA alias, Sean Smith, headed toward the river on his next lap through the winding paths of Park National, avoiding most of Bogota's human congestion and at pre-dawn gloom. Running always cleared his mind right before an assignment. He quietly returned to the apartment and glanced into the bedroom. Gabriella was still asleep, her dark hair fanned across the white pillow. He slipped into the apartment's safe room to leave a coded message for his handler, Vincent. There would be no turning back. Just months earlier, Nicholas Ford had been given a code name, Sean Smith. Recruited into the CIA by Vincent while in his junior year of college, he trained in secret and was assigned to Vincent's clandestine services unit. After graduation, he began work as an operative with the United States Agency for International Development, otherwise known as USAID, learning to funnel congressional funds undetected through a money laundering operation, weaponizing the freedom fighters in Nicaragua. Nicholas reminded himself what he was doing was legal, even righteous, to suppress the evil Soviet Union and limit their infiltration into Central America by a Nicaragua's president, Daniel Ortega. If all went well, his first official assignment would be completed by Wednesday. Vincent's return message was simple. Trust your suspicions, be slow to take action. Sean thought to himself, it always sounded like a fortune cookie. But over the last year, he had learned quickly that Vincent was essential to staying alive. Vincent was highly intelligent, spoke five languages fluently, was a true chameleon, well-respected, aggressive, and loyal, as long as one proved useful. By 8 a.m., Gabriella, Sean's interpreter and agency colleague, was awake and showering. She left the bathroom door open on purpose, and he watched her as she stepped into the glass shower. Her athletic body, now glistening under the shower spray, was an unspoken invitation. Admiring her strong and sensuous curves, Nick joined her. With an Irish-American father and Mexican mother, Gabriella was exotic, an exotically beautiful woman. At 28 years old, six years his senior, her confident sexuality and passionate warmth were an irresistible combination. 
coffee and more coffee, please, she said as she walked into the kitchen, still damp from the shower and wrapped in a towel. Reaching to plant a kiss on Nick's cheek, Gabriella barely came to Nick's chin, even on her tiptoes. She was all dark hair, big brown eyes, and golden skin pressing against Nick's lean, muscular frame. His blue eyes met hers, and he smiled. Sean poured her a cup of rich Colombian coffee and pulled a cinnamon muffin from the cafe bag. Gabriella fit perfectly into Sean's assignment, rodeo. Rodeo was the term for a perfect event that enabled every facet of Vincent's covert money laundering operation. Sean laundered congressional funds through the USAID Rural Assistance Programs managed by the cartel fronts run by Fabio Ocoa, a notorious cartel killer and longtime associate of Pablo Escobar. Most of the money was siphoned for purchases of weapons and supplies to support Nicaraguan freedom fighters. He sat down and laid out the plan for the rodeo presentation. Quote, it's a major fundraising event for the Rural Development Fund and USAID's funding programs, Sean continued. We have to make Fabio the star of the show and play off his entire cartel connection. They need to be the promoters of rural Colombia. I know, Sean. I have made Fabio's prize horses part of the show with his personal trainer on board. Fabio will love the idea, responded Gabriella. Excellent. The national police, DEA, and all the political heads will hate it, Sean muttered sarcastically. They laughed out loud. They were ready. They got into their car and their security driver and headed to Fabio's home, the Ocoa Ranch. The Ocoa Ranch was home to the Ocoa brothers, head of the Cali cartel and principals of the Medellin cartel. They arrived with 10 minutes to spare. Fabio walked over to greet them. Sean and Fabio exchanged a big handshake and an even bigger hug. Welcome to our ranch. Sean introduced Gabriella as a member of the USAID team and his interpreter. Fabio was a gentleman and a major flirt. He kissed Gabriella's hand. Welcome, beautiful woman, to my ranch. Gabriella smiled. Such a pleasure to meet you. They walked inside and were served iced tea. Jaime Leo and Rodriguez Gacha arrived at 10 a.m. sharp. Leo was selected by the CIA to hold confidential informant status. He was a lifetime politician and friendly with everyone, including the Communist Party and the FARC guerrillas that controlled Western Colombia. This made him a double-edged sword with political leaders. Sean, intuitively suspicious of Leo, needed him, according to Vincent. Gacha, a cartel lawyer, and an accountant had been selected by Fabio as, quote, the savviest businessman I know and essential for gaining trust among the leading cartel families. Sean understood that the cartels trusted Gotcha and he would have to treat him with the same cautious respect as Fabio so money laundering assignments would be protected. Sean presented the assignment, rodeo event giving Fabio credit for hosting the meeting and for assisting USAID. There were three basic requirements for the rodeo event to happen. First, securing Villa Vicencio as the premier site. Fabio immediately shouted, no problem. The second requirement was the date. Gabriella 
took the lead and discussed the charitable attributes of the event, the need for a festival atmosphere that would draw men, women, and their families, you know, music and dancing. The men listened and watched her poise and passion. Leal said, of course, we shall have that. Then Gabriella proposed the date, February 13th through February 15th, 1987, and waited for their reactions. Fabio spoke up first, perfecto. Sean was pleased. He loved watching Gabriella persuade men with the power of her intelligence and sexual energy. We need a strong committee, she said, to coordinate operations and all the logistics. We need to get sponsors, public relations, security. Leo stepped up and said he could chair, get sponsors and contributors and build the team for the public. Gotcha should be treasurer, Leo offered. Bring your ideas tomorrow. Gotcha was the best candidate for any accounting and legal work, and none of the others wanted to serve in that role. Gotcha, a man of few words, nodded, and everyone agreed. Sean took the lead again. He opened the briefcase and placed $10,000 cash on the table. This should get things started, he said, looking at Gotcha. We need to make some PR happen fast. We have to promote the USAID Rural Economic Development Funds. By when, asked Fabio. Sean said, no later than Thursday. The men groaned that Thursday was too soon, that it could not be done. Sean looked around the room, put another $10,000 down and said, it must be done, it's non-negotiable. Fabio quickly deducted that the PR was there to create more cover for the money laundering operation. It would be helpful to keep the national police less interested in their undercover movements. The men looked at each other and agreed to a Thursday morning press announcement. Sean was pleased and believed the PR could distract investigative interest in their Colombian money laundering operations. Sean and Gabriella made their goodbyes and headed to their car. Adios, shouted Fabio as they drove off. Leo looked at Gotcha. 15% for me on everything I raise. Gotcha smiled. And 30% for Fabio and me. The committee would make their calls, acquire financial pledges and secure the additional members needed for the rodeo. In the car, Sean and Gabriella discussed their thoughts about the meeting. They agreed it went better than they could have hoped. Sean was convinced that Fabio, Gacha, and Leo were back at the house making plans to leverage the event for all sorts of criminal activity, but that was not Sean's problem. Gabriella and Sean stopped at the embassy to show their faces and spread the news about the USAID rodeo event. The embassy had been in lockdown all morning and the mood seemed a bit on edge. Sean asked one of the affiliated managers of the agricultural division for coffee farming cooperatives what had happened. A killing took place just outside the entrance around 9.30 a.m. this morning. There was rapid gunfire. Two Sicarios on motorcycles killed an unarmed USAID manager and it is under investigation, said the manager. Sean asked who was investigating. The National Police, Colonel Ramirez, replied the USAID manager. Sean shook his head and walked off, feeling the presence of Ramirez. He knew the Colombian Drug Enforcement Administration, DEA, and Ramirez were watching him. He was the new gringo in town with friendly affiliations in the cartel. Sean muttered under his breath, might as well wear a fucking sign on my back. Gabriella and Sean made the rounds to update USAID and managers and key executive directors at the embassy. After informing the support staff with the news, 
They returned to the apartment. There were three messages waiting. The first was for Sean. The other two were for both. Sean opened his private message from Vincent. Discreetly arm yourself and be prepared for hostile behavior. There it is, sighed Sean. He knew too much was happening way too fast. Local officials combined with the Colombian DEA were on his tail. He could feel it in his bones. Sean grabbed his knuckle knife. A gun was too much firepower to carry as a USAID representative. If the DEA or National Police caught him, he burned Vincent's message in the kitchen. Gabriella opened the other two messages. The first was from Gotcha requesting another $20,000. Sean shook his head. What a greedy person. The second message was from Leal, inviting them to the formation meeting of the proposed committee to be held Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. at his home. Sean said, call Leal and confirm the meeting. We will be there. Then, as a dare, he said, let's shower and have each other for dinner. Gabriella blushed and smiled in her most alluring way. Yes, let's. He knew he was not falling in love with her. He was engaged to Anna, his college sweetheart back in Illinois. But while in Bogota, Gabriella had taken over his desires and the attraction was unstoppable. They spent the rest of the evening in bed ravishing each other. Gabriella whispered, you take my breath away, Sean. Are all farm boys this giving? I'm just a hopeless romantic. I am taken by you. Sean ran his fingers across her thigh and kissed her neck again, whispering, take me now. By midnight, they were famished. They put on robes, made omelets and toast. Gabriella whispered to Sean, let's eat in bed. Yes, Sean kissed her softly on the lips. Tuesday, September 16, 1986. Sean woke up before sunrise and grabbed his robe and took the dirty dishes into the kitchen. He made himself some cafe con leche and went for a run. Lately, running focused his mind and brought solace to his day no matter the pressure. As he ran through the parks near the university, Sean reminisced about his track days at the University of Illinois and simpler times on his family farm. He and Gabriella spent the better part of the day at the USAID offices in the embassy. USAID team members were assembled to plan for the rodeo coordination and communications. Gabriella was a natural at persuading people to support the rodeo. The White House was lobbying for freedom while covertly directing the CIA clandestine units throughout Central America. Using epileptic terms, President Reagan was warning Congress of a strategic disaster. If Nicaragua was left to the Sandinistas, Sean believed there was a heavy shit about to rain down on the current administration. And these monies were helping to suppress Soviet Union infiltration. Committed to Vincent, he felt a deep swell of patriotism as part of the team strengthening Reagan's agenda. Ortega must stop their Soviet Union alignment. Sean continued to operate under USAID cover at the embassy. He was now planning the rodeo event in plain sight. The national police would participate in security, but there was always a risk of a leaker. Sean kept his eyes open, his ears to the ground, and his mind focused. Near the end of the day, Gabriella whispered to Sean, ready when you are. An embassy clerk walked up to Sean and handed him a message from Leal. Committee planning meeting, 5 p.m., home of Jaime Leal. Press meeting at 9 a.m. Thursday, San Pablo Hotel, conference room. 
Sean nodded to Gabriella. Let's go out tonight and see who's watching us. His CIA training at the farm with covert operatives taught Sean when it was wise to be noticed and how to spot and identify potential threats. Being out in public would inevitably bring out information or even a confrontation that would reveal the enemy's plans or intelligence. As long as you never get caught, Sean thought, words to live by on the farm. That evening, Sean purposely told the driver to randomly drive around the city, allowing him to observe traffic and determine if they were being followed. Satisfied no one was following them, Sean directed the driver to drop them at the bar near the Weston Hotel. He scanned the room and had Gabriella look for a booth or a corner table. He left to check the bathroom, and by the time he returned, she was sitting in a booth as their drinks arrived. He watched the room as he listened to Gabriella talk about her event planning details. He signaled the waitress and paid their tab. Sean whispered to Gabriella, drink up, we're leaving. Acting casual, she finished her drink and rose to leave. Sean threw some money on the table as they left to get a cab. There was a suspicious guy in the corner of the bar carrying a weapon. He arrived just after us, he told her. Sean was taking no chances. El Barrio, please, Sean said, instructing the driver to take them to El Barrio restaurant near the University of Bogota. It would not be crowded on a Tuesday night, it was a lower priced restaurant, perfect for a USAID representative with a modest budget if they were being followed. Again, Sean checked the bathroom, looking to see if anyone might have followed them. Gabriella picked the table. When he came out, he saw two faces glancing his way, Gabriella's and the same man from the last bar. The waitress walked over and Gabriella ordered a sangria. Make that too, said Sean. As the waitress turned, Sean touched her arm, handed her a $20 bill, and asked if she had cigarettes and matches. She smiled and came back with both. He stood, waved the cigarettes in the air as if he had struck gold, but whispered to Gabriella, don't order any food, we may be leaving. I'll be right back. He walked to the door. Gracias, Sean shouted to the waitress. Outside, he walked around the corner and into the alley. He lit a cigarette and waited. Footsteps came from the direction of the restaurant. Creeping toward the alley, his heart beating faster, Sean opened his knuckle knife and tossed the cigarette. He leaned against the wall as if he'd had too much to drink. From the corner of his eye, he could see the stranger approach. Sean sized him up, young, 20-something, about five foot seven, dark, greasy hair, crooked teeth, decent clothes, and a tattoo of the mythical evil eye on his left hand. The evil eye was a curse said to cause harm in varying degrees some harm worse than others. Sean knew that the tattoo was popular with law enforcement officers throughout Latin America. The stranger held a pistol close to his chest in his right hand. Who do you work for, demanded the young man. Sean looked him in the eye. USAID, he said, and then he grabbed the man's gun with his left hand while stabbing him in the lower left abdomen with the knuckle knife hidden in his right hand. The man dropped the gun and Sean slowly laid him down in the alley. You stabbed me in the stomach. Sean knelt beside him and placed his knife on the man's throat. Who do you work for? The man attempted bravery. Fuck you. One more try. Who do you work for? The man continued to repeat himself. Sean heard voices on the sidewalk getting louder and closer. 
He pulled the man's jacket up to shield the blood from spraying as he pushed the knife deep into his neck, severing the cataractic artery. It was done. The man was dying. As the blood pooled on the sidewalk, reality set in. Sean felt sick. He watched the breath leave the man's body. Memories of his father's words penetrated his mind. Never harm anyone's person or their property. The betrayal of his family's values seeped through his entire being. Reeling from nausea, he leaned away from the body to throw up. Focus, goddammit. He admonished himself as he tried to pull it together. Despite all his training and rehearsing for this moment, many times he could not stop shaking. He had killed for the sake of killing. Whether it was the right thing to do or not did not cross his mind, at least not yet. Right now, he was physically shaking out of control as he desperately tried to get a hold of his feelings. It was done. He pocketed the knife and walked to the sidewalk, nearly bumping into three girls walking together. He smiled at the girls and used his most authentic farm boy smile as if in character for our play. Hello, ladies. Be careful out there tonight. The girls, obviously in college, giggled and kept walking, passing right by the alley. Pausing to collect himself, thank God they didn't see anything. Okay, everyone, there you go. That was Tony Roth reading a sample chapter from his debut novel, Trigger Point. The book is available today, March 1st, so make sure you click that link in the show notes to get over and grab a copy for yourself. Like I said, I am enjoying it. I'm reading it right now myself, and if you like spy thrillers, you're going to love it as much as I am. Uh, Don't forget to also click the links in the show notes for everywhere to follow Tony, as well as links for our sponsors, affiliates, and show friends alike. Don't forget to also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next time when I'm back with a brand new author, a new book, and an all-new sample chapter. Take care, everyone. It's good to be back, and uh, I'm going to see you again real, real soon.